Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Fuel for Our Faith. All right, so how many of you were here two weeks ago when we uh, talked about the transfiguration of Christ? Raise your hand if you were here. So if you weren't here, uh, what you need to know is that two weeks ago, we talked about the greatest mountaintop experience probably ever in recorded history. And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on Mount Hermon uh, for a time of prayer. And while Jesus was connecting with the Father in prayer, he was transfigured. His, his face began to shine like the sun and his robe began to flash like lightning. Why? Because his divinity was bursting through his humanity. And Peter, James, and John saw this and they were so astounded. They were so absolutely blown away. At the transfiguration, Jesus showed the world Okay, on the mountain, he showed Peter, James, and John, but through the New Testament, he has shown the world that he is not just a teacher, he's not just a rabbi, he is, in fact, the very Son of God. And so the transfiguration was a mountaintop experience. But how many of you guys understand, how many, how many of you know that after every mountaintop high, there's always a valley below? And so today in our passage, we're going down into the valley. Today, we're gonna go from the mountaintop, which is characterized by exuberance and joy, down into the valley, which is characterized by problems and strife. In our passage today, Mark chapter four, uh, nine, verses 14 through 32, we're gonna come down from the mountain and we're gonna deal with the problems of life. And so check it out now in verse 14. It says, and when they came to the disciples. Okay, so everybody look at me. So, so, so right now, make the Bible come alive in your mind. I want you to see Jesus, Peter, James, John. They're coming down the, uh, Mount Hermon, right? The area of Caesarea Philippi. And they're coming down at this point. And now it says in verse 14, when they came to the disciples, the nine disciples that he left in the valley. Three went up the mountain, nine were left. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So Peter, James, and John, and Jesus look out as they're coming down the mountain and they see this big crowd and the crowd is gathered around the nine disciples left in the valley and the crowd's listening in to an argument that's taking place between the scribes, that's the experts in the Mosaic law, the legalists, remember the scribes and the Pharisees are always ha uh, hassling Jesus. They can't find Jesus, and so the next best thing is hassle his disciples. And so they're arguing with the disciples, and it says in verse 15 that immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him, and they greeted him. And so the, the, the crowd looks up and they see Jesus coming down Mount Hermon and they go absolutely nuts. And they run up to Jesus. The, they say something like, you know, Lord, how you doing? Where have you been? You've been gone so long. We missed you, whatever they said. And I'm sure Jesus appreciated the greeting from the crowd, but you need to know that Jesus was more concerned with the welfare of his nine disciples and the argument that's taking place between the disciples and the scribes. And so it says now in verse 16 that he asked them, Jesus asked the nine disciples, 
what are you arguing about with them, with the scribes? Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him. Now notice, the nine disciples didn't answer him. Someone from the crowd answered him. So can you see it? Jesus goes to the nine disciples. Hey guys, what are you arguing with these guys about? And none of the nine disciples wanted to answer him. And you wonder why. Are they embarrassed? Are they bashful? Do they not want to tell him the content of the argument? And then someone breaks the silence. Someone in the crowd, verse 16, answered him, teacher, verse 17, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit, a demon, that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Now we know why the disciples didn't answer Jesus' question a little while ago. Because they're embarrassed. Because they're powerless to help this little boy who's possessed by a demon. And so what problem did Jesus encounter in the valley? The problem was threefold. It was a heartbroken father, a demon-possessed boy, and nine disciples who couldn't do a thing about it. Today's passage is about a demon-possessed boy, primarily. What you need to know if you're new to the Bible is that our fallen world is filled with devils and filled with demons. We don't see them, they're in the unseen realm. There's a physical realm, there's a spiritual realm. And so we um, observe the physical realm with our five senses, but we can't see into the spiritual realm. But they're there, they're absolutely there. I remember a passage in the Old Testament when Elisha um, was being attacked by an army, I think it was the army of, of uh, the Samaritans, and his, his um, servant was freaking out and he prayed that the servant would have eyes to see into the spiritual realm and the servant looked and he could see the, the angels above the army of the enemy. They're out there, we just can't see them. Right now, if God were to give us spirit eyes, we would look up and we would see angels in this place. I hope there's no demons in here, but we would certainly see the angels. And so our world, our fallen world that wants nothing to do with Jesus, that doesn't exalt Jesus, that doesn't honor Jesus, listen, our world is filled with devils and demons. You say, where do they come from? Well, Lucifer, right, was created perfect. He deceived a third of the heavenly host and he rebelled against God, he got the boot. Lucifer became who? You know this, Satan. And the fallen angels became what? Demons. And so there's millions of them. We don't know how many, but there's millions of them and there's different orders and rankings all around the world. And so we know that some demons are more vile than other demons. Some demons are more wicked, can you believe that, than other demons. For example, in Peter, Peter tells us that some demons are so vile, they've been chained under darkness awaiting for the judgment. 
I don't have time to get into it, but certain fallen angels did something so heinous in the eyes of God, God's like, you can't roam the earth anymore and lock them up in chains under darkness until the day of judgment comes. The demon in our text today didn't qualify to be chained under darkness, but he is a foul, loathsome demon. And the reason I say that is because he's picking on a little boy. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing is worse in my book than child abuse. And that's what this demon's doing. He's picking on a little kid. He's coming after, attacking a little harmless boy. In verse 17, it caused this little boy to be deaf and mute. In verse 18, it seized him and it would throw him to the ground. His body would become rigid. He'd foam at the mouth, he'd grind at the teeth, he'd roll around. And in verse 22, it says that this demon would often try to destroy the boy by throwing him into the water to drown him or throwing him into the fire to burn him. And so there are demonic beings in this world. Now in America, it's interesting, in America, uh, it seems like the demons like to remain behind the scenes and invisible. We have a lot of demonic oppression here in America but we don't have a lot of demonic possession in America. But you need to know that in other parts of the world where idolatry is rampant, where paganism is prevalent, you need to know that demonic manifestations are more common than they are here in America. In the time of Jesus, this is very interesting to me, in the time of Jesus, it seems like there's this all-out onslaught, an all-out bombardment of demonic activity in Israel during the time of Jesus. Have you noticed that in the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Demons are everywhere. And you, you wonder why. Well, here's why, because the Son of God has come to the planet. And so what are you gonna do if you're the devil? If I'm the devil, I'm gonna tell my, dev, my, my, my demons, hey, he's here, we gotta stop him. We gotta do whatever we can to resist him and resist his ministry. And so they attacked like never before during the time in the ministry of Jesus. And so I want you to imagine this father's heartache. Luke tells us that this is his only boy. And this little boy that he loves so much is demon possessed. And the daddy's heart is absolutely breaking because his child is suffering so much. Ladies and gentlemen, John 10, 10 is true. Don't ever be deceived. This is the truth. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's the enemy's will for your life. Now that you know Jesus Christ, you've turned your life over to Jesus Christ, you need to know that there is a devil and he hates you and he wants to steal from you, rip you off, he wants to kill you and he wants to destroy you. But how many of you are glad for the rest of the verse, Jesus said, but I have come to give them life and life more abundantly. Amen. That's our Jesus. And this is not in the notes, but I'm just wondering if there's people here and you, 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 at night, you're, you're up in the middle of the night, you're filled with anxiety, you're having anxiety attacks, you're being attacked by the enemy, oppressed by demons. Do you understand that demons shudder at the name of Jesus? They cannot stand the light of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you're having a trouble sleeping and you're being oppressed, 
in the middle of the night, I want you to call out in the name of Jesus because he will absolutely come and rescue you because he absolutely, he loves you. And so in a moment, this Lord, the, uh, the, the Lord is gonna deliver this little boy. We'll get to that in a moment. But in the meantime, the father at the end of verse 18, he, he says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast this demon out and they were not able. Now, how's Jesus gonna respond to all this, right? He's on the mountaintop, having a mountaintop experience, the transfiguration. Now he's coming down to the valley. He's dealing with the problems of life once again. He finds out that his nine disciples aren't able to help. And he says in verse 19, Jesus answered them, oh, faithless. I want you to say the word faithless. There's the problem right there, right there. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him, bring the boy to me. I don't know about you, but it, does it sound like the Lord's a little frustrated right here? Now, by the way, he gets frustrated with us. There's no sense denying that. He still loves us, he still died for us, he still justified us, justified us, he still accepts us, but from time to time he gets frustrated with us. Especially when we're faithless. And so that's what's going on here. Why was Jesus so frustrated? If you're taking notes, here's why. Jesus was frustrated with the disciples because of their lack of faith and spiritual power. He said, oh, faithless generation. And so the disciples, when they faced a problem down in the valley, did not have, they didn't have the faith to deal with the problem. They didn't have the faith to overcome the problem. And so the Lord is frustrated here, and he says, hey, bring the boy to me. Now, if you remember back in Mark 6, okay, we're in Mark 9, so back in Mark 6, just three chapters earlier, you need to remember that Jesus gave his disciples the authority over the demonic realm. Check it out in Mark chapter uh, 6, verse 7. It says that Jesus called the 12, 12 apostles, and he began to send them out two by two. Here it is. And he gave them what? You see that? Just three chapters ago. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And so the apostles are excited. They've received the special anointing from the Lord. They go out to minister. And just a few verses later, check out what happens and they cast out, how many demons? Many demons. And so in chapter six, they have the faith, they have the power to deal with the problems of the demonic realm, but now three chapters later in chapter nine, they don't have the faith and they don't have the power. What happened between chapter six and chapter nine? The same thing that happens often in our lives. Their faith waned. Their faith decreased. And because of that, they were helpless. And so Jesus said, bring the boy to me. I'll handle the problem. Look at verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, okay, so the demon inside of the boy looking through the boy at Jesus. 
the uncreated son of God. He knows exactly who he's looking at, by the way. This demon used to be an angel that lived in heaven with Jesus. And right now he looks through the boy and it says that the spirit saw him and immediately it convulsed the boy. Okay, this demon starts freaking out. Again, you need to know, demons cannot handle the light of Jesus Christ. He convulsed the boy, he fell to the ground, he rolled about, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into the water. This, this father's distraught. He's like, this, this demon is trying to kill my boy. That's what he says in verse 22. And then he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him in verse 23, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. And then I think he had a reality check and knew He's in the presence of one who can see into his heart. He goes, I better be honest. Help my unbelief, right? And so the father says, if, Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if, what's with this if? And so here's your next point. The problem was not Jesus' lack of power. The problem was the father's lack of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you believe that Jesus has the power over the demonic realm? Right, there's no if. <laughs> there's no if, ands, or buts about it. The problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with the Father. The problem is with the disciples. Oh, faithless generation. The problem is with their lack of faith. And so what does Jesus do? All right, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he starts preaching to this father. If I can, hey, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus starts preaching to this guy. He needs to hear the word. He needs to have his faith fueled. He needs to have his faith built up. And so the father's like, you're right, I believe. Sort of <laughs> help my unbelief. He's just being honest because he's struggling. Now, maybe you're here today and you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and you're like this dad and you're facing this big, nasty problem in your life and your heart is broken and you don't know what to do. You've come to the end of your rope and you're wondering if Jesus has the power to intervene and solve your problem. If you're with me, just say amen right here. Okay, listen to the word of Christ. All things are possible for the one who believes. Faith is the key. The problem is not with Jesus' lack of power. He's got all the power in the universe. He's omnipotent. The problem is our faith. Our faith wanes and we begin to question. All things are possible for the one who believes. Now, of course, being a Bible teacher and knowing that there's some aberrant teachers, especially on TV, I've gotta say this. All right, so some people hear that verse, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then they think, does that mean that I can believe God for anything? Okay, God, give me a Ferrari. <laughs> give me a mansion overlooking the Atlantic Ocean and a private jet would be so awesome, Lord. 
Do you really think that that's what God's talking about here? I told you before, sometimes you just gotta shut the TV off. Okay, so look at what the Holy Spirit says through John. Okay, so what we do is we interpret scripture with scripture, we get the whole counsel of God. We don't just take one verse and teach whatever we want, we look at the whole Bible. Okay, John is just as inspired as any other verse in the word of God. And so John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, what's the next four words? Bingo, right there. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, how do we discover the will of God? Ladies and gentlemen, we discover the will of God through the word of God. Right here, it's always been around for 2,000 years. The problem is we get home and we put it on the shelf and we don't touch it again until the next Sunday morning. But the more that we're in the word of God and meditating on the word of God and studying the word of God and reading the word of God, the more we know the heart of God and the will of God and the less we pray for Ferraris and mansions and jets. This is God's will right here. And so we got to get into the word of God. Now what I love about the word of God is that the spirit of God loves to take the word of God and speak to the hearts of the people of God. He's right there with us as we're pouring over the pages of scriptures. And what happens sometimes is God will speak to us through a promise of his word. And we'll know that we know that we know that that promise right there is for me, personally, in my context. And sometimes when we're praying, the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and we know that we know that we have heard from God. Now by the way, this is always smart, it's always wise. If you think you've heard from God, to go to someone who's been walking with God, who knows the word of God, a mature Christian, and bounce what you think you heard off of that person and ask that person to pray with you to make sure you're really hearing from God. That's smart to do that. And please don't be one of these people that like every minute of every day, well, God is telling me this, and God is telling me this, and God said this, like, like God is talking in your ear. And especially don't be that person who goes to someone else in this church and says, well, God just told me to tell you. Don't do that. Okay, and so if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so if you know that God has spoken to you, either through a clear promise of his word or a clear leading in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you know that he has spoken to you, listen, pray about that with confidence, knowing that you're praying according to the will of God, knowing that he hears you and knowing that he's gonna grant your request and then get a little excited. Why? Because all things are possible for the one who believes. Amen. Believe his word. Step out in faith. When God has spoken to you about something and you know it's the Lord, step out in faith. Even though it doesn't make sense, step out in faith. And the, the bottom is, is, is about to fall, off, fall out and, and you're like, what am I doing on the edge of this tree limb? I can hear it cracking, but I know I heard from the Lord. Here's the thing, you'll, the, the limb will never crack. 
God will come through for you. Sometimes it's the last minute of the last hour, but he always comes through because God is a God of his word, amen? amen. All right, verse 25. And so Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. So the context here is that the father is struggling with his faith. How many of you know that even when we struggle with our faith, Jesus is good. Amen. He's gonna show up anyway. And so when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. This is like the, the demon's worst nightmare right here. Saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he had to get like one last sucker punch on this little boy. It came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. How wonderful this little boy must have felt when that nasty, foul spirit finally got out of him. How awesome it must have been for this little boy to hear, to speak, to be normal again, to be a little boy and run around and play. How, how, how wonderful this dad must have felt. I got my boy back. He's healed. He's gonna be okay. And so even though the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, Jesus comes to give us life and life more abundantly. Now in verse 28. And when he had entered the house, this is very interesting. When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now I'm gonna talk about prayer here in a second, but let me just say this, that this story can found, be found in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And so when, when, when Jesus would talk to his disciples, it was a conversation. And you got, you got Matthew there, and he's listening to certain sentences in the conversation. You got Peter there, he's listening to certain sentences in the conversation. He later on tells John Mark, who writes the gospel. Matthew writes his gospel later. And so what you need to know is that Matthew recorded an additional statement made in the context of this conversation, and it says this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your what? There's the problem. When faced with a big nasty problem, the disciples' faith was about that big. And that's why they were helpless, they were powerless, they couldn't do anything. Again, back in chapter six, strong faith, power, casting out many demons, three chapters later, little faith, little power, and they can't help the boy. And so what needed to happen? What needed to happen was they needed to add fuel to their faith. When you're, when you're out driving your car and your gas gauge is on E, what do you do? Yeah, hey, there's the racetrack, let's go. You pull in put the nozzle in. One time I made a mistake. I think this may be against the law, I'm not sure, but I, I started putting my gas in my car 
and I had to go to the restroom, and so I took the cap, and I stuck it in the nozzle, and I ran in to use the restroom, and I came running back out, and there's like gallons of gas, just, yeah, I'm that guy. (laughs) Yeah, so I ran in, I told the guy, hey, you got a mess out here, bye. Right, but, but that's what we do. We put gas in our car. Why? So our car can keep moving forward. Hey, if we add gasoline to our gas tank when our gas tank's getting low, shouldn't we add faith, fuel to our faith when our faith's getting low? So what should we do when we need more faith? Because we need to fuel our faith, we should, number one, pray. Why couldn't we cast the demon out, Lord? Why couldn't we help this poor, helpless boy? Why were we powerless? And Jesus says, this kind of demon, well, you need to pray. And not that little, you know, God bless everybody, help everybody be nice today type of prayer. You need to pray. And so because the disciples were not praying, they lacked the faith to solve the problem. Here's a question you can answer out loud. What was Jesus doing on Mount Hermon right before he was transfigured? He was praying. And because Jesus was connecting with the Father in prayer up on the mountain, he was able to deal with the problem down in the valley. And that one's so good, we're gonna put that on the screen for you. You should write this down. Prayer on the mountaintop prepares us to face the problems in the valley. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer in the morning will prepare you for the problems of that day. How many of you know there will be problems today? And there's gonna be problems probably a lot more tomorrow because you're going to work. But here's the problem. Some of you tomorrow morning will get up and you'll run out your door with your cup of coffee and you will not have spent one minute with God. And you wonder why you get the snot beat out of you all day long. It's because you haven't prepared your heart. You haven't received power on the mountaintop to deal with the problems in the valley. You got to get into prayer. I'm I'm asking you guys as a church family, can we go deeper in prayer? Can we go deeper in our faith? Can we go deeper in our walk with God? Can this church not be a superficial church, surfacey church? And so some of you have your routine, you're like this with Jesus when it comes to fellowship and, and I don't wanna mess up what you're doing. But some of you are brand new to Christianity and you you need some structure. Okay, so let me just tell you quickly what I do. What I like to do is I like to follow structure to go deeper with the Lord. And so in the morning, I pray. I get up early enough so I can spend, I try to spend at least an hour or the better part of an hour with the Lord, just me and him alone. And so what I do is I'll, I'll go backwards 24 hours. I don't go straight to my prayer list because Psalm 100 verse four says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When we go to the Lord, we don't start asking, asking, asking like a spoiled brat. We go to the Lord honoring with an attitude of gratitude, praising him and worshiping him. And so I'll go back 24 hours and I'll thank him for the times that he showed up in the last day, the times he provided, the the blessings that he gave me, even down to Lord that, that um, pastrami on rye was really good yesterday afternoon. Thank you. Do you know that stuff comes from God? Yes. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights and we should be thanking him for every single one. 
And so I go through the day and I just thank him. And then next 24 hours, I commit the next 24 hours to him through prayer. God, I gotta meet with this person. I need some special grace here. I got this meeting. I really need your wisdom in this situation. I got this board meeting coming up. Lord, help us all to be prepared. I really want you to show up. And you just go through it. Another great structure to prayer is the Lord's prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, when you pray, say this. You remember that? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And don't just memorize it and say it you know, mindlessly. Take every sentence and make it an outline. Go home, write down every sentence, leave some space in between, and then when you go to prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the time to praise right there. He's hallowed, he's separate, he's holy. And put on your Spotify and worship the Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop right there. All right, Lord, I really want your will to be done, not my will. It's one of the things I love about Pastor Mike's message last week. Even though he said something like this, even though we are not yet experiencing the visible kingdom on the earth, the kingdom of God is still in our hearts. And so Lord, I want you to be the king of my heart today. And so I'm getting off the throne of my heart and I'm asking you, Jesus, to come sit smack dab on the throne of my heart and I'm gonna submit my will to your will because you're king, I'm not. May your will be done through my life today or however you wanna say it. That's the outline. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins and start confessing because we're all sinners. And so on and so forth. Go deeper with the Lord in your prayer. It'll add fuel to your faith. Now, how many of you guys have the New King James Version? Can I see your hands if you have the New King James Version? Okay, and so in the New King James Version, look at verse 29. Lord, how come we couldn't cast this nasty demon out? He said, well, this kind of demon cannot come out by nothing but prayer and what? Fasting. So I need to talk about fasting now. If you wanna add fuel to your faith, don't just pray, but number two, fast. But before I talk about fasting, I gotta go down this side road. I know I have to do it because some of you guys right now are wondering, well, how come my version says prayer, but the person next to me, it says prayer and fasting. What's the deal here, Pastor Mike? I'll make this quick. It has to do with the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament and which set of manuscripts the different Bible versions chose to use. And so the original manuscripts, the original document, as Peter's telling Mark about Jesus and Mark's writing it down on papyrus or whatever he wrote on, do you, do you guys understand that no longer exists, right? It's lost, it's gone. Paul's letters, the originals, Matthew, um, Luke, Acts, it's all gone, but the good news is we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts or copies of the originals. And so among the vast multitude of these New Testament copies or manuscripts, there are some variances, but the variances are so slight and so um, insignificant, kind of like you know, one version has prayer, one version has prayer and fasting. And so what you need to know at the end of the day, 
I'm gonna give you a reference here in a minute because I don't have time to talk about textual criticism right now in depth. Textual criticism is basically how do you find out what the original manuscripts that are lost, how do you find out what they really said? So which copies are best? And so the, the, the most important thing that you need to know right now is that the New Testament is the most reliable piece of ancient literature in the whole world. So what you have as the New Testament is absolutely reliable. Even though it has some variances, Greek scholar D.A. Carson said, and I quote, the purity of the New Testament text is of such a substantial nature that nothing we believe to be true and nothing we are commanded to do is in any way jeopardized by the variances. And so textual criticism is something you wanna go deeper with. I wanna encourage you to get the book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, the same guy who writes the book that we give visitors every weekend. Josh McDowell, he wrote a book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He has a whole chapter on textual criticism. I, I encourage you to have it part of your library, read through so that your faith can be built on the authenticity of our New Testament. Having said all that, let's talk about fasting here. This kind of demon does not come out but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. David Guzik said this, classic, classic statement. Prayer and fasting draw us closer to the heart of God and they put us more in line with his power. They are an expression, prayer and fasting, are an expression of our total dependence upon him. Prayer and fasting put us more in line with the power of God. How many of you guys want the power of God in your life to deal with the big nasty problems, right? Pray and fast. It'll put you in line with God's power. For example, Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He hasn't had a bite to eat. Satan thinks he's weak. It's my time to get him. I'm gonna tempt him, he's gonna fail. And he tempts him and he tempts him and he tempts him and he finds out how strong Jesus really was. Why? Well, even though Jesus was weak from fasting, he was strong from fasting. Ladies and gentlemen, what we sometimes forget is that Jesus was not just fully God, he was fully man. He overcame the devil in the wilderness as a man, as an example to you and me who are human beings as well. And so if you want to overcome the enemy, if you wanna be more in line with the power of God, pray and fast, and you'll be able to deal with those big, nasty problems in your life. Am I making sense this morning or this afternoon? And, and by the way, listen to this. Did you know that praying and fasting also will help you hear more clearly from the Lord? You gotta get this one. Acts 13, the leaders of the church of Antioch, they're gathered together for a prayer meeting. And in the midst of that prayer meeting, check it out, what happens? While they, the leaders of the church, were worshiping the Lord and what? The Holy Spirit said. Do you see that? Okay, so, 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 so look, you're praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit speaks. 
they're praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the next thing you know, Paul and Barnabas are going on their first missionary journey and the rest is history. And so if you want clear direction from the Lord, man, pray and fast. Lord, where should I go to college? Young people, don't just pick a college at random. Pray and fast. <laughs> Listen to your pastor. Go to a college where that's inside of God's will. Because if you mess things up at your age right now, it could take you off a, a whole other course for the rest of your life. Lord, where do you want me to go to college? What degree do you want me to get? Who do you want me to marry? How many kids do you want me to have? Should I adopt? What city should I call home? Where should I go to work? Where should I go to church? What area of the church should I serve in? These are huge, huge questions in life and they demand clear direction from God and that clear direction will come when we pray and fast. So some tips on fasting. Number one is stay hydrated, okay? Just keep drinking that water. I think that's important. Some of you guys are like, well, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't drink water or eat food. Okay, he's Jesus. All right, don't do that. <laughs> I'm not asking you to fast 40 days. How about just one day? How about one meal? And so stay hydrated. Number two, use common sense. If you're pregnant, don't fast. If you're ill, don't fast. Number three, start small. So just skip a meal. And then while you're, when you would have been eating that meal, pray. Now here's what's cool, is that when the hunger pains are like unbearable, ah, I'm so hungry. If you'll use that time for prayer, what may happen is that the hunger will be replaced by the peace of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. And then try a 24 hour fast. Some people say, I fast every day from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. I don't eat a bite of food. Well, yeah. But, but try this. Eat a big meal, let the sun go down, and don't eat again until the next day after the sun goes down. And some of you guys are gonna be like, honey, the sun's almost down. You got that food ready? Come on now. And then I always gotta put this, consult your doctor because I know some of you guys deal with medical issues and I don't wanna mess anybody up, all right? All right, so let's get to verse 30 through 32, which correspond with communion. And then we're gonna partake of communion together. It says that they went on from there and they passed through Galilee. And Jesus didn't want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, okay, here's communion right here. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And, there, and they will kill him. <laughs> Can't get any plainer than that. And by the way, I think this is the third time he said this to them. They will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. But they, the disciples, did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And so once again, Jesus reminded his disciples, guys, you gotta understand this. I've told you twice already. I'm telling you again, I'm gonna suffer. I'm gonna die. The good news is I'm gonna rise again. 
And Matthew tells us in his version of the story that they're, they're, they're so distressed. Suffer, die, rise again, whatever that means. No, right, cry, cry, cry. And, and I'm just wondering, would the disciples have been so bummed out about this statement of Jesus, I've gotta suffer, I gotta die, I gotta rise again. Would they have been so bummed out if they would have known their Bible? Ladies and gentlemen, the New Testament wasn't written yet, but they certainly had the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And did you know that in the Jewish scriptures, God foretold the suffering and the death and the resurrection of the coming Messiah? And if they would have known the Bible, they could have said, hey, Pete, hey, Matthew, it says right here, look, I'm in Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Look at it's right there, Isaiah. Look, look over here, Bartholomew, look. Psalm 16, it says, that God will not allow his Holy One to see corruption. The Holy One is the Messiah. His body will not corrupt in the grave. And so Jesus just said he's gonna rise again. Why are we bummed out? He's gonna come back to us alive from the dead. And if he can get up and walk out of a grave, that means we're gonna rise from the dead too. And their misery could have been turned to joy if they just would have known their scriptures. And so last point, if you're taking notes, if you need fuel for your faith, don't just pray, don't just fast, but study the word. Study the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm asking you again, don't be a superficial Christian. Let's not have a superficial church. Let's go deep with the Lord in prayer, deep with the Lord in fasting if you're able, and deep with the Lord in the scriptures. So what I like to do is I like to go to my Blue Letter Bible app. And I like, right now I'm, I'm ready for tomorrow morning, Hebrews chapter eight, and I'll read through the word. And then after I read God's word first, then I'll click, I'll press it. It worked earlier. Yes, there it is. And then I'll hit text commentaries. And then I have my favorite, you may have your favorite, but I like to go down to David Guzik and I like to see what he has to say. And then I'll read God's word first in red, and then I'll read his commentary underneath. Sometimes I get through three verses, sometimes I get through 15. But spending time on the mountaintop with God prepares me for the problems in the valley. And I hope you'll do the same. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come out now and the ushers to prepare for the communion elements. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and after I pray, the worship team is gonna to begin to sing and the ushers are gonna dismiss you row by row to come and receive communion here. And then I think, yeah, there's some in the back as well. They'll, they'll tell you where to go. And so I wanna just quickly address two groups of people that may be among us today. The first group is you may be here today and you have never given your life to Christ. God has a message for you. He's saying to you, I love you. In spite of your sin, in spite of whatever you've done, you need to know the God who created you in your mother's womb absolutely loves you. But there's a problem. 
The problem is, the Bible says, your sin has separated you from your God. There's a sin problem. All of us have this problem. And in order for you to be joined with the Father in communion, you need to come to him through the Son, and the Son is the only way. These elements represent the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. His bones weren't broken. His body, though, was absolutely brutalized. And by his stripes, you can be healed. Your sins can be forgiven. The blood that he shed can wash away all your sins, past, present, future, and allow you to have fellowship with the Father again. But you got to come to him through Christ. You need to receive Jesus as your savior. And you can do that today. You can come, get the elements, go back to your seat. I'm gonna ask everybody to wait and receive communion together as a church family, but if you've never given your life to Christ, you can take the bread and the cup back to your seat. You can bow your head and you can say something like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God, but I wanna come to God through you. I believe you died for me and rose again. Come be my savior. Something like that. Call on the name of the Lord. And by faith, he'll make you right with God. Now, if you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to give your life to Christ, I wanna ask you to respectfully not partake of communion. And the reason I say that, the, the, these tables are open for any believer anywhere in the world. You don't have to be a part of the church. You can come and partake if you know Christ. If you haven't given your life to Christ, the Bible's clear, this is only for Christians. That's not my word, that's God's word. And so we'll respect you, but please respect us. If you're here today and you know the Lord, two words, repent, remember. So don't let this be a religious ritual. Take the cup and the bread back to your seat. If there's anything in your life that you know that you're doing wrong and you haven't admitted it and quit it, quit it you know, confess it before the Lord before you take the elements. That's important. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. The Bible says, let a man or a woman examine themselves and then eat the bread and drink the cup. You don't wanna take this in an unworthy manner. We don't make ourselves worthy before Christ. He already made us worthy on the cross. We accept his forgiveness. Does that make sense? So man, take advantage of his grace. Admit it and quit it. And then remember, do this in remembrance of me. And so maybe you wanna Go to Matthew 27, 27, read the rest of the chapter, the passion, the suffering, the death of Christ. Maybe you wanna go to Isaiah 53 and read 700-year-old prophecy before Christ of his suffering and death. But, but remember the Lord. And so, Father, we're ready. We're ready to receive the elements that represent your son. Help us to do it in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.